0: Welcome in here to The Water Cooler, week number 13, finally upon us. Brett Perkins on vacation this week, down in beautiful Orlando, checking out, I'm sure, Harry Potter land down in uh, Universal Studios there, but got my old friend David Tutweiler here with me today, uh, a radio veteran.
1: It's uh, good to be on the show, it's not every show that you get to be listening one week, and... Uh co-host the next so yeah
0: you're like the 13th man basically or the 12th man or whatever you know whatever you, you yeah. to do. it's a
1: it's a unique experience but I, i'm happy to be
0: here. well just hope you don't screw it up so maybe we'll let you come back at some point
1: but. well well, you uh you pulled me in off one of my worst weeks in pick 10 so uh, i that. mean
0: seven three is not too bad it's no nine and one which some people on the pick 10 did last week all man. right go
1: ahead and rub it in That's yeah right.
0: well uh I don't know if you heard our pick 10 last week when I had my other roommates on there oh, yeah. but uh, I, I'm sure you did better than uh, my roommate Nick
1: yeah that was uh, Did you hear
0: his reasoning that <laughs> was
1: that was a little pathetic uh, I'm not gonna lie but I, I let it pass I didn't say anything no uh, threatening emails or it's uh, good uh, laughing text so I don't know the guy I guess I'd have to meet him first but yeah that was a that was a little embarrassing to even listen to
0: well I mean uh, you know we saw how that. 70-degree home field advantage for Miami worked out for him, apparently. Yes, that did yeah. not work very well.
1: Uh, I guess no matter how much home field advantage you have, Ja'Cory uh, Harris might matter just a little bit more. Yeah, more.
0: well, you know, whatever. We won't pile on him too much, I guess. Speaking of piling on,
1: <laughs>
0: national media this week has made it their mission to uh, come across the board that there's no way Auburn is going to win the Iron Bowl this Friday. Uh the game opening up in Vegas this week. Alabama a four-point favorite in this one. Normally uh, you get about three points for being the home team. So I, I guess a virtual toss-up uh, if they were to meet on a neutral field. But certainly Auburn not getting a whole lot of respect from most people in the national media. You seem to have a pretty different opinion on this game, though. Well, let's. let's I'll give
1: you a background first. Uh, I guess it would be easy for myself to classify... Me as an Alabama fan, uh, both sides, uh, my side of the family, all Alabama fans, and uh, my wife's side of the family, all Alabama fans, and, and that's nice and all. But I, I would like to be objective, and and I believe that the people in Las Vegas, as good as they are, have overrated Alabama just a little bit. I actually don't think that the game – will be within 17 points. I think Auburn kills Alabama.
0: Yeah, man, when you first told me that the other day, I I had a hard time believing it. And now that you've said it for a few times, I'm starting to think, yeah, that sounds pretty (laughs) good to me. But uh, let's go through some of the the factors here in this game. Let's start off with Alabama's offense against the Auburn defense. Auburn's defense has been kind of a weakness for them this year. But Alabama's bread and butter, kind of the rushing game, uh, Trent Richardson, Mark Ingram, those that's that's what Nick Saban likes to lean on, and Auburn's been pretty decent at stopping that kind of rushing attack this year. That,
1: that's right, but uh, Auburn has had trouble in the first half uh, stopping offenses, and I think that trend could continue uh, in the Iron Bowl. Alabama very explosive on offense, they have the weapons uh, at key positions in running back and wide receiver, they have a quarterback who tends to make good decisions but holds on to the ball too long which can cause uh, for some turnovers. And Auburn is a defense that has uh, thrived on turnovers all year long. Uh, I-, I think Alabama does keep it close in the first half. They've got the key. But in the end, Alabama's offensive play call ends up killing themselves. They have the two best running backs, in arguably in the nation, and they line up in five wide 40% of their snaps. Yeah, They kill themselves.
0: Well, uh, a lot of has been said this week that Alabama will try to – run a ball control type of offense to keep the ball out of Cam Newton's hands and I, th- I think if they try to take that strategy with those running backs they might have some success with that but if you're trying to exploit Auburn's weaknesses on defense then you probably want to go through the air. Auburn's secondary has been very weak this year especially on uh, short screen type passes you mentioned McElroy likes to hold on to the ball a little bit but If they can get rid of the ball quickly, make some of those screen passes, uh, I think that would be very effective against Auburn's defense. And make no mistake in this one, a lot of Auburn fans, we talked about this last week, don't give Greg McElroy very much respect. But I think he's going to play very well in this game, and I think he's going to get a lot of yards in this game. Just Auburn's secondary is just not capable of stopping his – pretty decent decision-making combined with Julio Jones and Marquise Mays.
1: That's right, and that's uh, also assuming if, if you get the screen game working early, that opens up the downfield uh, passing lanes. And, and they do have a couple of receivers who, who are explosive. You've got Marquise Mays, who's underrated. He's got uh, tons of speed and, and can beat you deep. You've got Julio, who's hard to bring down. It takes two to three. But Auburn still has a core in the front seven that is formidable late in the game. I mean, Nick Fairley... Is arguably one of the highest draft status jumps in the entire uh, SEC, maybe even in the entire league. Uh, you're going to have to stop the rush to get the ball out. So uh, it'll be interesting to see.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of talk about Nick Fairley after the Georgia game being a dirty player. No question that Auburn's defensive line is going to try to get pressure to relieve uh, some of the stress on that secondary. Do you think Nick Fairley and the other defensive linemen? kind of have more of a watchful eye on them from a referee's perspective now with uh, that reputation?
1: Uh, that might be true, but I, I believe that if that's gotten blown out of proportion a little bit in the last week. Uh, Auburn has always hit until uh, what coaches call the echo of the whistle, and it's not a new thing. They've been doing it for a couple years with the defensive coordinator that they've had. They've always been uh, tenacious on defense, so I don't really think that changes anything. uh if anything, uh, if you have an officiating crew who is um, subjugated to the crowd noise, that might hurt you more than having a watchful eye on the D-line. Just, just you, uh, if you're an Auburn fan, you have to hope that you have an officiating crew who can ignore the crowd. Because yeah. it's going to be loud.
0: And, and certainly, if there are some questionable hits, uh, you're going to start hearing some boos from the home crowd. And like you said, does that stuff factor into the referees? I mean, you're they're only human, right? That's so right. Yeah. You can only do so much. Well, let, let's talk about uh, the other side of the coin here. Right. Cam Newton, the Auburn offense, all indications Cam Newton will play on Friday. Uh, really nothing new coming out so far this week, which has been great for me. I've actually been able to get some <laughs> actual work done in my life. Okay. So it's been nice. But uh, Saban has uh, closed down his practices this week, even more so than usual. A lot of people wondering if he has some magical defensive answer to be able to stop the Auburn offense and Cam Newton. I mean, in my opinion, it just seems like with the weapons that Auburn has, no matter what you try to do, there's still a way for Auburn to exploit a weakness then.
1: I believe that's true. Uh, We talked at the beginning of the year before the – the season even started and the one thing that I brought up about Auburn is the diversity of an offensive attack. Uh, most teams are power running or they run a speed option or like Florida, they're, they're built about speed. Auburn has so many different ways to beat you. They can, uh, they can run a speed jet with a wide receiver on the corner or Cam Newton can run it down your throat or just when you are, are prepared for the run and you've got it shut down it's a play action over your head, and you've got three wide receivers who are wide open. So as much as Nick Saban loves to pressure quarterbacks, uh, it also leaves the middle open for a running lane, and Cam Newton will take that and exploit it every single time. So he's got his hands full.
0: Yeah, the rushing game, always very important to what Auburn tries to do on offense. Uh, Five consecutive SEC games now, they've rushed for over 300 yards. I mean, that's just unreal. But... If you try to take the uh, approach of stopping the rushing game, we, we've seen Cam really improve with his passing game as the season's gone along, especially looking to his second and third options. He can beat you that way, too.
1: And there's actually a statistic that I looked up, and Cam Newton, believe it or not, is the number one passer in the SEC quarterback rating. He's over 20 points higher than Ryan Mallett, and I think... Uh, if you told a lot of fans before the season that would be the case, they wouldn't believe you.
0: Yeah, and certainly from an efficiency standpoint, he's, he's there. He doesn't quite have the passing production as far as raw numbers. But, I mean, when you're rushing for over 300 yards a game, you, there's only so many yards to be had, right? So That's right. Uh, not a whole lot you can do there. Let's talk about Alabama's defense. Some people, uh, a lot of Auburn people I've talked to have said, well, really the only weakness Alabama has is uh, in their secondary. They're a little bit inexperienced, not necessarily – Uh, not talented there. Would you say that Alabama's defense is better than the LSU defense that Auburn already faced this year?
1: I would have to say no. Uh, LSU has athletes at every position, and while Alabama has comparable athletes, they don't have the experience as some of the LSU players did. Uh, And it's not just necessarily the secondary. The secondary is what a lot of people like to key on as a weakness, but They've got some outside linebackers who are experiencing this kind of atmosphere for the first time, and just watching the games as much as I have, there have been more linebackers out of position on the run than any Nick Saban coach defense I've seen in his history.
0: Yeah, well, obviously Alabama lost a lot of starters on defense last year, and even at this point in the season, the season's long, there's not a whole lot of time for a break in those teaching-type moments, so... It's hard to get that experience until you've had a couple of years under your belt. I want to ask you this question now. I've seen some people say that they think this is going to be a real low-scoring game. I've seen people say that they think this is going to be a shootout. What kind of character do you see this game taking?
1: I would lean more towards a shootout. I I would expect this game to look a lot like Georgia and Auburn uh, earlier in the year. I would say that Alabama, if they don't have a lead, will at least keep it close in the first half. I'm thinking somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, a 21 to 21, 21-17. But by the end of the game, I'm seeing at least 45 to 35, 45-24. I mean, I, I believe that the highest-scoring team will be in the 40s and 50s. I, I see this as being a high-scoring game.
0: Okay. Well, I always like to talk about some of the intangible factors here, too, just because uh, yeah, you, know, you never know what some of these things are going to do. The weather might might be a little bit of a factor in this game. Uh, you wouldn't know it if you stepped outside here right now. It's about 75 degrees every day. Pretty nice uh, Michigan summer weather, I guess you'd right. say. But uh, the things I've seen say that on Friday, high of around 50, maybe some rain. Let's just say, for instance, that it is pretty wet conditions. Okay. Does, does that benefit one or the other team here? I would
1: say if you have wet conditions, it always benefits a quick offense. Yeah. Um, On offense, you always know what your play is. Well, you're supposed to anyway. Typically, you know what the play is. Unless you're less Miles. Unless you're less Miles. You don't even know what play you just called. You have no idea. (laughs) And you're eating grass, so that might affect it a little bit. But uh, on offense, especially with the offensive philosophy that Auburn runs, with all the motion, uh, with the uh, fake handoffs, for the defense, it's hard to change direction in a wet atmosphere on that turf. And uh, I think that that hugely favors Auburn. Alabama runs more of a power game. There's not as much change of direction for Auburn's defense. They can go one way and go downhill. I would say if, it, if it's wet, it, it uh, probably helps Auburn some. I, I don't really think the cold affects either way. I think that would be kind of neutral each side.
0: Yeah, and it's not really that cold. Yeah, maybe once you get down into, like, the teens or something, maybe you see a difference there. This is but, not going to
1: be in Ohio State, Iowa.
0: It, right, so... Uh, and the things I've seen say that maybe a thirty percent chance of showers or something. So probably not a like downpour conditions, but, but maybe, maybe just a little wet. Both field. teams
1: will will prepare for it. I, right. can, I can guarantee that.
0: All right, let's talk about crowd noise. You mentioned that a little bit. One of the things I mentioned last week on the show that I'm a little nervous about is the fact that Auburn's road games this year have not really been in tough venues. You play at Mississippi State, they got their cowbells, but pretty annoying. But... It's annoying more than anything else, right? And then up at Kentucky. Uh, The fans there, very quiet for most of the game. And then Ole Miss, uh, astoundingly quiet. I I don't think those people even deserve to be called fans, really. Maybe observers or something. They were awful.
1: I, I think what's happened with Ole Miss is that they're confused.
0: I mean, they don't. Know. <laughs> a black bear. Yeah, they really? don't know what their mascot well, is. Yeah, we kept uh, kept looking out for the black bear while we were there, but they they didn't have one ready, I guess. I'm so. confused. I, don't know. I, I was hoping I'd see Admiral Ackbar walking around, but I didn't see him either. So. He's in the
1: galaxy far, far away. So. Yeah,
0: fighting uh, <laughs> fighting Darth Vader, I guess. Yeah, but I so when you take all that into account, Auburn really has not been in a very hostile atmosphere this year, and and the coaches have said this week that. Uh, They've been practicing with crowd noise and in the indoor practice facility and stuff, but do you think that makes a big difference in this game, that Auburn has not faced an atmosphere like that thus far? It could possibly
1: affect them early. There is, There are ways you can practice for noise somewhat. You can practice for loud noises, not being able to hear the calls from the sideline, but you cannot account for uh, a fellow you and I both know, Gerard Powers, who's now playing as a quarterback in the Colt, the first game he got to step on the field for Auburn was against LSU at LSU. And he told us that his helmet literally rattled when he stepped on the field. There's no way you can replicate that in practice. No. Now, uh, what effect that might have, I'm not sure, but I do believe as the game goes on, you can adapt to that.
0: Yeah, well, certainly, like like you said, in Gerard's case, for younger players, I think right. it has much more of an impact. Uh, Auburn's team, pretty heavily senior-laden Alabama. Most of their key positions, they have people who have been there before, so probably uh, not a huge factor in terms of inexperience in this game.
1: Now, there is uh, one other factor that might actually be counterproductive to Alabama. You do have a lot of young players, and watching their games early, they have had issues getting plays in on the defensive side. So if you have tons of crowd noise, that actually might hurt Alabama instead of helping them. That's
0: true. I mean, the defense does have to deal with that as well. That's so, But you would think uh, probably at this point in the season, they've dealt with that in other games you, at home. Yes, so that's they're, right. they're probably prepared for that. One thing that's been mentioned on some of the message boards that I read uh, 1989 in Auburn for the Iron Bowl was uh, probably the biggest Iron Bowl in Auburn fans' eyes. First time that Alabama came to Jordan Harris Stadium. Uh, probably the loudest the stadium's ever been. Basically a game that there was no way that Auburn could lose. And I've seen some people make that comparison this year, saying that this year is like Alabama's 1989 Iron Bowl. And I've had a little bit of trouble reconciling that. I mean, do you, do you see that anyway in this? Is, there, is this the kind of game that there's just no way Alabama can lose?
1: I, I don't believe so. You've already heard my views on how I think the game will go. But even thinking in that mindset... Um, Alabama has a new addition onto the south end zone. That's the only comparison I can make. Uh, Alabama fans are one year uh, removed from winning the national championship. They've had a disappointing two losses. I know it sounds crazy that that any team could be disappointed with the season Alabama has had, but they are truly disappointed. Now, they would be extremely excited, and it would make up for their season, could they beat Auburn and keep them away from the national championship. But I don't know if that in itself is enough motivation for this to be the biggest game in Tuscaloosa.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, two two losses is disappointing. But when uh, when the expectations were as high as they were, I guess yeah. the two but losses are pretty disappointing. If, so
1: if uh, if you're not undefeated.
0: Yeah, I, and that that's the problem. When you're on top, you have nowhere to go but down, basically. But well, I, I guess it's time now. I've been holding off on my prediction here. We already kind of know what your prediction is going to be. Uh, I don't know if I'm quite willing to go with a a 17-point victory. I agree with you. I think it's going to be back and forth, pretty good bit of scoring in the first half. Uh, Maybe somewhere around that 21-28 point margin. Just looking at what Auburn's done in some of the other games, defense has struggled a little bit in the first half, like you mentioned. Takes them a little bit of time to settle down. But, I kind of agree with you in the second half. I think maybe Auburn gets one or two key stops, be they uh, turnovers or 3-and-out or something. The, Auburn always seems to find a way to do that, and I think that's going to be the difference in this game. I think other than that, Alabama's going to score pretty easily on Auburn's defense, but Auburn gets a couple of stops, and I, I think Auburn scores pretty easily on Alabama's defense, too. So I, I say maybe maybe Auburn by uh, by 10 in this game.
1: Alright, now I'll, I'll give you something to watch for. Um, third, third to fourth quarter, Alabama has had intense struggles swapping between their freshman kickers. Now, if you see one of the kickers come out on a mid-to-long-range field goal, 35, 40 yards, something makeable that Alabama needs to have to stay in the game, and they miss it, that, I mean, that could be a deal-breaker. Yeah. If you take the wind out of that stadium, that, that could be the, the game changer.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's another thing to look at here in this game. Special teams obviously uh, play a huge role in a game like this. West Byron, Auburn's kicker, Amazing. Been pretty solid. He's a senior. He's been there before. He's been in big games. And then you got Alabama with freshman kickers. I mean, a and, close game like that, that can make a difference. And they have
1: not had good kick coverage either. Uh, they let up, the only score they let up to Georgia State was a kickoff return. And yeah. they, they've they struggled all year. So they really need to be careful on special teams. That's the third factor that's often forgotten about in the game.
0: Yeah, and Auburn, uh, their returners, Ontario, McCaleb, and DeMon Washington, I mean, they've taken a couple back this year. They have the ability. So. Something to watch out for. A uh, l- lot of things to watch out for in this game, but I hope you're right. I hope hope Auburn takes a big win here. So. Yeah, we'll
1: see. I, I just need to make sure that this recording doesn't reach any of my family's ears. Well, so. you're,
0: you're being objective, so <laughs> right. nobody nobody can fault you too much there for that. And, well, uh, you say that. <laughs> yeah, <probably. laughs> That's true. That's true. I, I can't hide all of my bias. Yeah. So, Anyways, that's, that's what we're looking at for the Iron Bowl. Time to take a step back here from all this heavy conversation now. We, of course, have the craziest news stories we could find, just like we do every week. We're going to take a quick break here on the water cooler, and we'll be right back with the crazy news. back here on the water cooler got some crazy news stories as always this is a pretty good week for crazy news there's a lot lot out there uh, i mean humanity is getting stupider and stupider by the week so by rule things should be getting better as far as the crazy news front goes well we're
1: getting closer to 2012 right
0: that is true that is true so all right let me start off with this one here we're all familiar with Google Maps. Uh, they got that great new feature, Google Street View. You know where they ride around those unmarked vans and oh, yeah. take pictures of the street. It's very helpful if you're going to a place you've never been before.
1: You know, per- big, big brother watching in on this.
0: Absolutely, yeah. it's great. Yeah, and uh, apparently in Germany though, this thing works a little bit differently. Uh, they just posted the Street View in Germany. I guess it took them a while to get around to this, but. There's a picture, and I'm not going to link to this because I'm sure you can find it on the internet if you really want to see this, but there's a picture of them going down by somebody's house and uh, they managed to capture a naked man in a trunk of a car.
1: Now, now if you do go a- and find this link, uh, the naked man in the car, I agree, is slightly disturbing. Uh, more disturbing is this jug of unmarked liquid and dog <laughs> lying <laughs> As though he is dead (laughs) on the side of the road. Now, this is an interesting picture. I believe this is what they call modern art.
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to think of the reasons that there might be a naked man in the back of a trunk. And the article I read said this, that in Germany there's a a pretty large nudist movement. is free body culture and stuff. So it was surprising to this person that there was still a huge uproar over the fact that there was a naked man in his trunk. Uh, on the Google page here, so apparently even in Germany, where all the nudist stuff uh, is in vogue, it's still not acceptable to be naked in your trunk.
1: I, well, he's not even really in his trunk. Uh, if the trunk was closed, yeah, I think it would be okay for it's him true. to be naked. True, it's like in he's trying
0: trunk. to get out and maybe take a swig of that liquid, wherever that is, to put himself out of his misery. I don't that know.
1: might be the most disturbing thing I've seen in a long time. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I don't really know what to make of that. All right, that is, that is strange news. Strange news. All right, what, what you got one here, right? Yeah,
1: I, I went ahead and I, I thought I'd contribute to the strange news. Um, a dance troupe from Florida caused a rush hour terror scare when they ditched their cars in the Lincoln Tunnel and tried to run to a TV appearance in New York City while wearing their camouflage costumes. The dancers had driven about 1,000 miles so they could appear Wednesday... Now, get this, this is big time. On BET's Live 106 in Park. So they were obviously extremely excited, as you and I would be.
0: Uh, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds exciting.
1: But they hit traffic in the tunnel, which connects New Jersey and New York City, and they were just two miles from the TV studio. So the five young women and three young men decided to sprint the rest of the way. They left their adult chaperones behind and ran through the toll plaza armed officers with the Port Authority Police and the FBI New York Police Department Joint Terrorism Task Force gave chase, (laughs) closing the tunnel for 45 minutes. Okay, it took them 45 minutes to realize these people weren't terrorists. They eventually offered to escort the dancers to the show, but the producers told them that it was too late. So they turned back around and headed back to Jacksonville,
0: Florida. Wow. So that's what you get for trying to be on BET. See, here's my thinking with this story. You said the tunnel connects New Jersey and New York? I right. I mean, the, the bus was not getting out of New Jersey passing up for them. <laughs> they needed to get out and run because they just weren't getting out of there quickly enough.
1: I am actually surprised that there aren't more people who get out and run from their cars. Yeah,
0: New Jersey is a scary place. If you've never been there, don't. So that's so. a...
1: That was interesting.
0: Wow. Well, uh, Jacksonville, that's not that far from where I'm going to be living, so I guess I need to watch out for these people.
1: Well, I don't think most people who listen to the show would actually go to New Jersey anyway, because didn't Conan O'Brien ban New Jersey?
0: Did he really? I, I think he banned
1: the airport in New Jersey.
0: So. Wow. Well, this has been a long time coming. It, it, was, it was wild. We always used so. to say, New Jersey, America's armpit. So that's correct. It's very I, I believe, true.
1: I believe it still applies.
0: All right. Speaking of things that are not armpits... Um, <laughs> Nice, nice transition. I found these, uh, this new invention. we got a couple of inventions on the strange News today. This one is uh, called the Gluttony Pants. Right. Very uh, applicable for Thursday, Thanksgiving coming up. Everybody eats too much turkey. Uh, but this guy, Chef Chris Cosentino, he's on the Food Network. Apparently. Oh, yeah. You know he's, this guy? He's on um, uh, Chef of Your City, or Chef of
1: the City. Yeah,
0: so apparently a famous guy... Also a great inventor, because he's invented these pants that have three different button settings, basically. You know, like normally you just got one button to put your pants on. This one has three different settings. One of them, the tightest, is called Piglet. And then the next loosest setting is called Sew, and the the loosest setting is Bore. Mm. So I probably would have chosen different names for them, but the fact that there are three different settings... uh, I mean, it's smart. It's good to think ahead.
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. It's uh, like a jumpsuit for people who want to be fashionable.
0: Yeah, because uh, I, I read a little bit of the article, and the, the guy says, this is uh, his quote, everybody has that Uncle Tony who eats too much and has to unbutton his pants at the table. So I guess this is designed to help you avoid that phenomenon with Uncle Tony.
1: I think it's a little uh, uh, distracting that the guy is 160 pounds. Uh, yeah,
0: I don't know about that. I, I mean, think
1: I would buy the pants more if he was at oh, 250
0: maybe. Yeah, plus uh, I just don't know that three settings is going to be enough. It, it seems like if you could get some sort of zipper apparatus, so you yeah, could just you like, get them whatever size you need. Or maybe this thing called elastic. Elastic would work. <laughs> it's um, already been invented. Although
1: you could, uh, you could sew buttons onto that, it looks like.
0: Yeah, that's true. You, you could modify it, that's customize right. it for your own yeah, applications. But if you've just eaten that much turkey, are you going to be in any mood to customize it?
1: I would, I would say that uh, you could add two more buttons, the last being, uh, you should stop now.
0: Yeah, that's, I don't know, it's disturbing that America's <laughs> come to this, I guess. But uh, hey, capitalism still works, right? There you go. So, Alright, speaking of capitalism, you told me about this story too. This is uh, out of Detroit. Another armpit of America. But we're me, not Detroit. Let me say this Detroit at one point overtook my home city of St. Louis as the most dangerous city in America this week. We, St. Louis, we took, took it, back. it back. We took back what was rightfully ours. Once again, I can now say that I'm from the most dangerous city in America. Uh, Your middle name is Danger, right? It, it is, yeah. And uh, I plan to introduce myself that way in Tuscaloosa on Friday just to stave off potential confrontations. But. Uh, I'll,
1: uh, I'd be interested to hear how that works that's, out for you. Yeah,
0: probably not going to go very well. But uh, just wanted to throw that out there. It's not really strange news, but uh, it doesn't relate at all to this story. Well, okay, Detroit. That's yeah, that's, that's how I got scary. off on that tangent. But we were talking about this a little bit before the show. The title of this story, Flying Fruit Lid Sparks $150,000 Settlement Offer. You seem to know a little bit more about this story than I do. Ex- explain what happened.
1: Uh, basically what happened is uh, this man... From uh, I believe he's from San Francisco. Is that correct? He uh, uh didn't say. He was wrestling with this pickle jar, and uh, everybody's been there before. Can't get the pickle jar to open. Well, uh, apparently, and and I'll save this for a little later. Uh, how this happened? But the lid came up and smacked him right in the eye, and uh, it, it doesn't sound too bad at first until you hear that he has permanent damage in his eye. Well, the judges at the initial hearing would not throw out some of the things that the uh, prosecution or the defense wanted thrown out, so uh, the fruit people decided that they would come with a $150,000 offer. Pretty generous. Which they had declined. Yeah. Uh, and all of this sounds like the man should get some some money out of this. That, that is, until you get to this uh, uh, strange sentence down here that says the, the lid was jarred off by a uh, screwdriver handle. Mm. So he didn't just take the old washcloth and screw it off method. He grabbed a screwdriver and tried to whack them all.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I admire the guy's uh, ingenuity, I tenacity. guess. Tenacity. Yeah, maybe tenacity, probably a better word, but his stupidity really takes the cake here. Stupidity. So, uh, I would have taken $150,000 and run with it because looks to me like he's probably not going to get anything now out of this. If
1: I'm a juror... He didn't get a penny. No.
0: Uh, probably a good thing we're not on the jury. Probably a good thing we're not trying to open pickle jars, too. Probably a good thing we're not in San Francisco. Yeah, it looks like a very dangerous business. So, anyways. All right, we got two more stories for you. Like I said, uh, a plethora of interesting news this week. This is a short little story here. Crazy things happen in New York. Sometimes in Auburn I see these guys riding around on unicycles. There's a couple guys that do that, ride to class. It seems like a very inefficient way to travel.
1: I, I believe you, uh, they're referred to as attention whores.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, you remember Stephen Haddock, right? Uh, that's exactly who yeah, I was referring he, to. He used he actually, to ride a unicycle all the time, yes. probably because he was so short and it was the only way he'd get anywhere in any type of reasonable time frame. Otherwise, I can his, agree with that. his legs would have to move very quickly. Yes. But aside from that, uh, this unicyclist... Strange situation here. He's a trained acrobat, and he says that his rights were violated when he was ticketed for riding his unicycle on a New York City sidewalk. So you're thinking, okay, maybe maybe that's legit, but he was uh, ticketed by plainclothes officers who pulled him over on a Brooklyn sidewalk at 3 a.m. <laughs> I
1: believe that's the first ever heroin deal ever done on a unicycle. 3 a.m. riding a unicycle around New York? Does something not seem strange to you about that? Uh, I thought... See, this is what confuses me. I thought that as soon as you mounted a unicycle, you had to sign away your rights as a U.S. citizen. This
0: is ridiculous. I, I don't. Nothing good happens after midnight, but certainly nothing good happens after midnight on a unicycle. Not
1: a unicycle, no.
0: So this guy, he's seeking $3 million in damages because he says that the law of New York City only prohibits two- or three-wheeled devices from riding on sidewalks, not a unicycle, which by definition, one wheel.
1: I say we I say we invent a new occupation and become professional jurors.
0: And we find these cases, and we find a way to get on them. is that guy, that's, that's crazy. All right, so... Uh, that's, that's America. But we do have one more story that I think is even stranger than this. There's been a lot of stuff in the news this week about... Airport screening, people getting padded down. Personally, I'm glad I'm not having to fly anytime soon, because it seems like madness. But uh, if you're worried about your private parts being seen by the screeners, somebody has come up with a solution for you. This Colorado man has invented a special new kind of underwear. made of lead. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I believe it's for both males and females. They have versions for both uh, genders. But it has a, a strategically strategically placed fig leaf over <laughs> the sensitive area so that uh, basically whenever they look at you, it's just like biblical times. So all it's over the and Adam there. and Eve approach. It is. And sometimes the best approach to invention is to look back at what's worked in the past to keep it simple. And that's what this guy has done here for sure. I mean.
1: Well, once again, during all kinds of crisis amidst all the turmoil in the country, people will
0: find a way to profit. Yeah, and that's the American way, so... Good job at being an American. I, I don't know if I'm going to buy one of these fig leaf underpants...
1: I think it's, it's worth a try.
0: ...sets, but... Uh, so oh, oh, hang on. Uh, oh no. Different story here. Well, same story, but a little misinformation. The men's design has the fig leaf, and the one for women has clasped hands.
1: The mix of tungsten and other metals do not set off metal detectors, although they do kill your body. <laughs> yeah, jeez.
0: Uh, so I,
1: I hope this isn't going to be like a cat food and mercury where it just comes out later. That,
0: it's really bad for you, but yeah. hey, the screeners couldn't see your privates. Okay, so. I guess that's what matters. I guess it worked Even out right. Even if your right.
1: privates fall off three weeks later.
0: Wow, well, like we said, we promised a pretty good run of crazy news this week. I think that's we delivered. A lot of craziness happening out in the wide world of insane people this week, we're going to come back to a little bit of sanity here after a quick break. It's time for us to break down this week's SEC games. The first weekend of rivalry week, so a couple of games to talk about. Some of them not quite as big as they usually are, but uh, some of them are going to be pretty interesting. So we'll take a quick, quick break here. We'll see you on the other side for some SEC previews. your SEC preview for this week. Seems like there should be some better games this week, uh, just like the past two weeks. Really have not delivered like some of the other weeks this season.
1: Just a lot of classic rivalry games where one of the two teams is just not what we're used to seeing.
0: Yeah, well, one of those games that uh, definitely fits into that category. We'll jump right into it here. Kentucky playing at Tennessee. Of course, Tennessee just... Been on the ropes this year. Derek Dooley doing everything he can to keep that program alive. Uh, Tennessee did manage to get themselves an SEC victory over Ole Miss, so not really sure how much that counts for, but no. it's
1: still a win. Uh, nice job, Tennessee. You now belong with everybody else in the SEC yes. who played Ole Miss.
0: and uh, tied with Vanderbilt for wins now. So, uh, Of course, Tennessee and, and Vandy, I believe, uh, no, they played last week. That's yeah, right, that's Tennessee. Right. Tennessee beat Vanderbilt uh, as expectedly, so well, I guess they have two wins in the SEC now. But uh, Kentucky, pretty impressive team in my opinion this year. Mike Hardline, probably the most underrated quarterback in the SEC.
1: Uh, yeah, he, he's a little erratic, but yes, uh, when he decides to play, he, he has some uh, definite talent. And yeah. I, like, I like what Joker Phillips has done with that team. They've got a, a lot of fight. Um, there's just really one key flaw in Kentucky's team this year, and it's that they don't turn the switch until they're down by at least 17. mean, right. it seems like and, uh, at the beginning of the game, they're one team, and then when they're down 17, they just completely turn it around. They're a, a brand-new team.
0: Yeah, we saw that uh, firsthand in the Auburn game. Uh, Mike Hardline and Randall Cobb, a dangerous combination. If Randall Cobb was playing at any other school, he'd probably be mentioned for the Heisman race Most at this definitely. point. Uh, it's kind of hurt by where he chose to play. You look at the other side of Tennessee, ever since Tyler Bray has moved into the starting quarterback position for them, they've really seen some improvement. But with a team like Tennessee, you have to think at this point in the season, they're lacking depth, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It's been a long season, and uh, like the Auburn team last year, there comes a point in these games where you just can't keep up anymore because you don't have that depth.
1: I can agree, and and it's surprising to even talk about Kentucky and Tennessee, and then talk about Kentucky with more depth. Uh, Absolutely, it's it's, it's absolutely surprising that we're at this point in the season and talking about that.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think it's going out on too much of a limb here to predict a Kentucky win in this game. I think uh, Kentucky probably wins this game by at least two touchdowns. That's my feeling.
1: I've got Kentucky. I've got it a a little bit of a closer game, uh, Kentucky by ten. But I also have in here that. Uh, they will be down by 17 at some point in the game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> then they'll turn it on, right? That's right. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to the other Tennessee school here. Let's go ahead and talk about them. Wake Forest and Vanderbilt, both teams 2-9. and nine. Vandy uh, did manage to beat Ole Miss, get themselves an SEC win this year. Eh, I don't really know that much about Wake Forest, but if I had to choose this game, I'd probably take the SEC team.
1: I, I agree. Uh, Wake Forest has been a, a little up and down this year. They've had a couple of wins. They played really close with a Duke team. Where uh, early in the year, if you remember, right before Alabama played them, it was, you know, fifty-two to fifty-six, something like that. It was a very high-scoring game. Um, Wake Forest was always up and down, and you know what? I, I really should go with them, but I just I, I kind of feel sorry for Vandy, so I went ahead and gave Vandy a sympathy win. I think I think Vandy will win by four.
0: Yeah, you you gotta. The laws of probability say that Vandy wins some games at some point. Right? The laws so. of
1: probability, Vandy fans who, are, who might be the smartest fans in the SEC will tell you, stop when you get to Vandy's. So.
0: <laughs> one of the great ironies of life, I guess. Yeah. Let's talk about a game that should be a, a pretty good one. LSU playing at Arkansas. Both of these teams, surprisingly in my mind at least, uh, struggled this past week but I still think this is going to be a great matchup. I,
1: I think it'll be pretty good. Uh, LSU has been, uh, I would say, the more consistent of the two this year uh, with their play. You kind of know what to expect from them. Arkansas has had a, a symptom of playing to their opponent's strength, I believe. They, they play to the level of their opponents. If, if they're playing a weak team, an, a Mississippi State, who's, who's actually had a pretty good season, but uh, they were expected to dominate, they play a close game. But if they play in Alabama who at that point was undefeated, uh, they play them very tightly as well. So it might just be a, a case where they just play to the level of their opponents. So.
0: Yeah, de- definitely some good individual matchups to look at in this game. And the one that interests me most, and probably most everyone else, Ryan Mallett versus uh, the LSU secondary, Patrick Peterson. Uh, and those wide receivers that Arkansas has, too. Greg Child's obviously out for the season, but uh, they got quite a stable of wide receivers ready to step up I think that's going to be uh, – whoever wins that battle probably has the upper hand in this game.
1: I agree. Uh, I, I do uh, disagree on one hand because I think uh, the key to Arkansas being where they are today is the evolution of their running game. Uh, they've now got a, a running back who's second in the SEC in rushing, and, and nobody's talking about him. Uh, Ryan Mallett gets all the attention. Um, but I, I do believe they're running up against a foe in LSU who can shut down their run. So they're going to make uh, Arkansas be uh, one-dimensional on offense, I believe.
0: Yeah, and it's always tough to win when you're a one-dimensional team, even if you have Ryan Mallett. But like you said, the emergence of uh, Niall Davis this mm-hmm. year, we, we sort of started to see him in the Auburn game. He made some nice runs to the outside. Arkansas, I think, struggled against the better team though, last week, and I think that's why I'm going to give them the edge in this one. Uh, I give more credence to Arkansas having a tough time with Mississippi State than I do LSU struggling with Ole Miss, because I think Ole Miss is still a terrible team.
1: Well, I think uh, you also have to look at um, preparation. Uh, You hate to hear it. Coaches hate to hear it. Players swear it never happens. But LSU could very well have been looking at the next week at Arkansas. Uh, And I cannot pick against Les Miles. He is the (laughs) luckiest man on the face of the planet, and he's burned me twice this year already. I'm going to give it to LSU by three in overtime.
0: In overtime? I'm going to go ahead right. and call overtime. Well, Arkansas had themselves a nice overtime game last week. Call another one for them this week. I, so. think,
1: I think it'll be overtime, and I think it might have more to do with Arkansas being worn out than anything.
0: Yeah, well, we'll have to see how that one shakes out. Let's move on to another rivalry game here. Florida and Florida State. Both of these teams, in my mind, pretty equal this year. None of them are dominating... Florida kind of falling off from their traditional status this year. Florida State seemingly kind of on the rise, although it's kind of a one steps forward, two steps back kind of thing so far for them this year. Who do you see having the edge in this one?
1: Um, Florida State has been close in almost every game they played again, the exception being the massacre in Oklahoma. But I, I do believe these are young kids. Uh, they can forget something that was seven weeks ago. Um they know how to win in the close games. Where even though it's against Boston College and you know uh, the Miami's, they, they've they've come close. Florida is used to killing people. They're not used to having a season like this. And uh, even though they already have uh, all the weapons, they, it's a track meet on on the field. Um, I just don't think they have it this year. They 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 don't have any identity on offense, and the defense is tired of uh, keeping the. Florida Gators in the game, uh, they've been on the field more than I think any SEC defense has or should be. So I think that's what's hurt them all year.
0: Yeah, obviously Florida's had their struggles. So maybe got a little bit of confidence back with an easy win over Appalachian State last week. The one bright point for Florida this year has been Trey Burton, their backup quarterback. He's kind of emerged. A lot of people are sort of comparing him to Tim Tebow, but I don't think that's the right comparison to make. He, definitely a change of pace from John Brantley, who's struggled this year in their offense, but I feel like Florida has a lot more talent than Florida State does, and they haven't been able to hurt it. It's like been like herding cats for them this year, trying to get those guys in the right places, but for some reason I'm just going to go with Urban Meyer here. I like the more talented team. I think they're going to find a way to use Trey Burton and get him uh, to confuse Florida State's defense. So I'm going to take Florida in this
1: one. Uh, I'm going to go against you on that one. I've actually had a grudge against Florida and their coaching staff uh they talked all last year and in, in the preseason about turning the offense over to uh, Brantley, and I believe he's got the talent that if they actually converted the offense, he could spread that offense out and he could let it fly. But I, I'm going to say that the coaching staff has been the bottleneck of the Florida, and they've been the reason that they uh, been in. They've been the reason for their demise. I think they've been their own worst enemy. I, I think the trend continues. They're not sure what they want to do on offense. And I think Florida State pretty much has their way. I've got the Seminoles winning by 10.
0: All right, yeah, definitely I can't argue with you there. Florida's looked lost on offense and definitely have not made good on their promise to switch over their offense for John Brantley. So All right, yet another rivalry game here, the Egg Bowl. Still, uh, I remember we talked about this last year, trying to get somebody to explain to us why it was called the Egg Bowl. and I,
1: I think it's because when an egg rots, It is the smelliest thing that you've ever smelled in your life. And I think that pretty much adequately describes what you've seen on the field for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, I I don't think that's the answer they gave us, but whatever it was was not as memorable as that. So I'll take that as my new (laughs) de facto reason. Last year, Mississippi State throttled Ole Miss in Starkville. This year, the games in Oxford... But uh, one thing that probably won't be in Oxford is a winning football team uh, going by the name Ole Miss because I think Mississippi State's going to have their way in this game.
1: I I believe the curse of the black bear lives on. (laughs) Uh, I don't think there's an SEC SEC team out there who couldn't beat Ole Miss right now. I believe if you took Florida Atlantic into the SEC, they could probably have a shot. Um, and, And I really and I'll, this is kind of going off topic just a little bit, but I, I do believe that Ole Miss is going to struggle in the next couple of years. They brought in um, the quarterback from Oregon for one year. What do you do with your offense now? You have completely converted a pro-style offense to this spread running gun. What do you do next year? And
0: you didn't even get a bowl eligible you, either. You haven't
1: gotten bowl eligible. The, the master plan has ultimately failed and fallen on your face, and somebody's going to pay the... The price for that. If it's not the coach this year, it'll be the program for the next two or three years.
0: Yeah. Well, Houston Nutt he has a history of sort of sliding out when things get rough. So we'll have to see if he tries to do that again here. I
1: think he was about one year too late.
0: Yeah. Well, he he seems to have pretty bad timing, but he uh, still manages to slime his way out somewhere. The one thing I can say about Mississippi State is uh, their quarterback, Chris Ralph. He needs to make some better decisions. We watched watched some of their game last week. Uh, had some wide open guys didn't make the right passes, overthrew some of the passes, he's kind of the one piece that's missing for them right now. They have a pretty decent running game. You remember back to that Florida game. They they beat Florida uh, only passing like two times in their right. entire second half. Uh, Mississippi State's defense is very solid, probably one of the top uh, three or four defenses in the SEC. They could just get that quarterback played. They could almost jump to another level.
1: I, I agree with you. Um Mississippi State, I think, would be the antithesis of Ole Miss. They are the team on the rise, I believe. Uh, I love Dan Mullen. I, I, the only problem I see with them is getting the talent in the right place. I think they've gone in the right direction with Shaw, at quarterback. I think, uh, unlike Florida, they can transition their offense. They have the coach to transition the offense to more of a passing game with Shaw. I think they could be good in the years to come. I agree with you. The quarterback is an issue but I believe that the coaching staff keeps it on the ground, um, keeps a, a focus on the team, and the defense creates enough turnovers that uh, this, this probably won't be too much of a game.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we'll see pretty impressive result from Mississippi State there in that one. Let's head up to the state of South Carolina now. Auburn's SEC Championship opponent has to play a rivalry game this week after pretty impressively taking out Troy last week. Uh, this game is at Clemson. Clemson, a team, uh, after Auburn played them this year, a lot of Auburn fans said, man, Clemson's going to be a good team in the ACC this year. They're going to be real strong, win a lot of games. Didn't really work out that way. Clemson struggled, specifically Kyle Parker has uh, struggled pretty heavily this year. Wishing he'd
1: stuck with baseball.
0: Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know, he has some kind of weird deal that he worked out there, but still doesn't seem like it was worth the risk that he took this year. Clemson's sort of come on a little bit as of late, but it's hard to know what you're going to get with South Carolina, though. They've been a very sporadic team from week to week.
1: That's right. Uh, Clemson's played in... They've been in every game they played in all year, including the losses. Uh, the wins haven't been impressive. They've been within three and four points, but the losses haven't been demoralizing, all three and four points, so they're very on-the-edge team. Uh, when it comes to South Carolina, they have some explosive talent, um, and but they, on the other end, they can be explosively bad. I mean, everybody knows Garcia's flaws, uh, turning the ball over. They have a great freshman running back. They have uh, an awesome sophomore receiver who can just go get the ball no matter where it's put. Um, I believe that their offensive firepower is, in the end, too much for Clemson to handle. They've struggled against the run all year. But I do have to say Clemson will hold the tradition. They'll keep the game close. But you know what? Clemson has killed me this year. I've picked Clemson three or four times, and they have just let me down. So I I'll pick them no more. I think South Carolina wins, and uh, I also have a question for you: uh, over or under on how many fights break after in the game? And I'll put the number at one and a half.
0: Oh, what what counts as a half of a fight? Is that? Well, like no, a... no,
1: one and a half is it, it? It's either under at one fight or over. Okay, at
0: two. okay, okay. Uh, I don't know. I mean again my question is still what what counts as a fight then I guess because uh,
1: uh, a scuffle of more than three or four people uh, where the referees have to set oh, I'm gonna take the over then definitely
0: okay. if it's just a couple of guys I mean maybe not bench clearing brawls here. Yeah, right. definitely some bad blood between these guys so I, I don't know I'm gonna take South Carolina in this game too I think Lattimore is uh, continued to heat up for them at running back after coming back from some injury trouble toward the middle of the season they're gonna ride him in this game Auburn was able to run the ball pretty effectively against Clemson. I think South Carolina will be able to do that too. One more uh, ACC-SEC matchup to talk about here between uh, two teams that probably didn't live up to the expectations they had for themselves this year. Georgia Tech traveling to Athens to play their hated rival, Georgia, in the uh, rivalry turned clean, old-fashioned hate. It was always one of my favorite rivalry names. <laughs> Uh, Georgia has some unique rivalry names. Uh, you, of course you can't call it the
1: largest cocktail. It's party. true. It's uh, the
0: largest tailgate party or something some stupid name. But
1: they have some interesting uh, interesting rivalries.
0: Uh, this is a real tough one for me to pick. I, I had uh, had some difficulty, kept going back and forth. Georgia's been improving, but they still are not a very disciplined team. Georgia Tech's been pretty sporadic this year. Uh, I believe their quarterback, Nesbitt, he's out for the season. He's out so for the whole season. That, that's a big loss for them. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not even sure that I would term a Georgia Tech victory over Georgia here an upset. I, I, I don't know who was the favored team. Right
1: I, I would think it would be a huge upset. Uh, I believe that their Nick, or their uh, rambling wreck would be a perfect description of their season. They have been uh, the exact opposite of what they were last year, is a disciplined uh, no turnovers. They, everybody knew where to be. Uh, they they ran their offense to perfection, and that allowed them to win a lot of games, and the games they didn't win, it allowed them to be close in. I think a combination of people figuring out how to defense the option, uh, uh, people figuring out exactly how to get in the heads of some of these younger players on Georgia Tech, and the fact that they don't have some of their star talent that they had last year, one of them went to the draft. A lot of them have transferred. Uh, I just I, I don't see it being a close game. I, I believe Georgia, uh, being a tough physical SEC defense, uh, can prepare for this. They've seen the option, not necessarily in the form that Georgia Tech runs it, but a lot of teams now are running the spread option, and I believe it's helped defenses prepare for it, and I think Georgia could really run this game up. Uh, The one problem with an option is that if you go three and out a couple of times, you can be down 21 nothing really quick.
0: Yeah. Well, I always feel like there should be that one game on the picks I make every week that I kind of pull one out of the hat and make an upset. And I thought about doing that here, but I'm not (laughs) going to because. uh, You tease. Yeah, well, Georgia, after seeing him play against Auburn, was very impressed with Aaron Murray. He's going to be a great quarterback. He already is a great quarterback. You got A.J. Green. Uh, he is truly like a man playing among boys. The things I saw him do against Auburn's secondary, uh, I think he'll have no trouble getting that same kind of performance against Georgia Tech. When you factor in uh, that this game is also at Georgia in Athens. Uh, Between the heads. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a tough Uphill battle for Georgia Tech, and I just don't think they have enough to do it. So I'm going to take the Bulldogs here in this one as well. So we
1: only really differed in about one pick, I believe, of the LSU-Arkansas game, I think, and Florida-Florida uh, State. I think it's the only place where we would Yeah, play. like
0: we said, this these games this week, not as much of a toss-up as you might think they would be. But, oh, uh, so. Well, we might have some, some more differences on the pick 10. We'll see that a little bit later here in the show. Right now we're going to do a, a quick little segment here for you. We're going to run through each SEC team – sort of talk about their season in review, say if they met their expectations, exceeded them, fell short, and then right at the end of that we're going to go and uh, try to slot these SEC teams into bowls as well. It's going to be pretty tough because once you get down from the first couple of teams, there's a lot of folks right in the middle, a lot of things that could play out. We're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back and uh, let you know how these SEC teams perform this season. on the water cooler, as promised. We're going to run through the entire SEC here in about 10 minutes. There you go. And, that, that should uh, be plenty of time. And talk about how everybody's done uh, through this season. A lot of expectations. Kind of before the season started, we never would have anticipated this shift in SEC power from the East to the West. But that's really been the story of the season so far. Overall, with that said, let's start in the East. Maybe we'll go through uh, alphabetically. That's probably the best way to do it. Let's start with Georgia, a team that uh, Uh, I think it would be fair to say had pretty high expectations to begin the season. So we're going alphabetically. Yeah, well, we're going alphabetically, except uh, F's going to be after G. G That'll work. All
1: right. Georgia, I I would say uh, um, looking back on the season, if you're a realistic Georgia fan, you can take the record that they have. You, you want them to beat Georgia Tech and round out their record, make it 6-6. Six and six. But with a freshman quarterback, with some of the key injuries they've had, A.J. Green being out for four games, realistically, 6-6 six and six is not a bad year. But I don't believe there are too many realistic Georgia fans. And if I'm Mark Rick, I might truly be afraid for my job. Uh, a mediocre season at best. They, they have found some real gems there in the state of Georgia. Uh, I just don't know if they can be patient enough for them to grow and and actually hit the field.
0: Yeah, I I think not having A.J. Green for a couple games this season really hurt them. Just Maybe even from a mental perspective, not believing that they could get it done without him. I I don't know. That was a big loss for them. I, I look back to that loss at Colorado. That was kind of the low point of the season for them. Definitely lower than their expectations were. To start this season. Like you say, you could probably make a case that this is a pretty reasonable outcome but if they lose to Georgia Tech, I think Mark Rick's job might seriously be in jeopardy. I, I
1: believe know. so and and you hear all the time about how great of a coach he is and really, is he? I mean, he's a, I, I, he's a great guy. I, I, I think Mark Rick will, will be a, a great personality no matter where he is, who he is. Um, but is he a really great coach?
0: Yeah, he had some success early but I've said this a couple times on this show. I look back to that 2007 Auburn-Georgia game uh, at Georgia, the famous Soldier Boy game. I don't oh, know yeah. if you remember, yeah, that. remember that. That kind of seems like a turning point in their program. Or, or
1: th- even the Alabama blackout, yeah. where they, they were very excited about that game. And yeah, that, that's,
0: that's probably even a, a better... Representation just of the continual degradation of discipline. It seems like in that program, and so.
1: it, it's a it's an unfortunate event when you use height instead of discipline,
0: right? To get your players. Well, ready for and a you game. look at the arrest records of many of the players on that team. I mean, they pretty much everybody on that team's been in the slammer at least once. Well, this year, it seems unfortunately,
1: like, so. that seems to be the way the SEC is heading. I That's mean, true. Florida, all or. Uh, Tennessee, you can even say maybe Auburn with Cam Newton. That's all the lead
0: Yeah, well, definitely not a conference of angels. Let's put it that way. (laughs) They're football players. (laughs) All right, let's go back to what should have been the start of the alphabet. Let's talk about Florida. Okay, there we go. Uh, Myself, I thought Florida was going to have another very good year. I I thought they were just going to reload, switch it over to the the Brantley-style offense. I, I believed the hype. I thought maybe two losses at most. I thought Florida would drill Alabama. Boy, was I wrong. (laughs) I
1: I think you can use Florida as a good example. Uh, You could also use Alabama, maybe Ohio State. Um, There are several uh, schools that you can point to in the NCAA this year that really are a crying and rally point that no matter who you are in the NCAA, there's no such thing as reloading. The the way the scholarship restrictions have have come into play, some of the – um, restrictions in recruiting. Uh, there is no such thing unless you don't play anybody all year, not calling any names, Boise State and TCU. <laughs> but unless, if, if you are in a conference that has real opponents, there's no such thing as reloading. And some of these uh, perennial powerhouses are finding that out the hard way.
0: Yeah, well, I, I would like to say that uh, definitely Florida, a disappointment for everybody. But surprisingly, a lot of the Florida fans I talked to at my internship this summer down in Florida. They kind of saw the writing on the wall, When I talked to them, I was like, you guys are just reloading, you'll be fine this year. And They, was like, they were very worried. They didn't think that they were going to have a very good season. Turns out they must have known something I didn't. Cause, I guess so. uh, Maybe to those fans, the team write about where they thought they would be, but I think overall Florida definitely a disappointment this year.
1: Yeah, we know the two-quarterback system has some issues, and definitely the four-quarterback <laughs> system definitely has some issues.
0: Let's talk about Kentucky next. Uh, from my predictions, I'd say Kentucky exceeded their expectations this year.
1: I would say they did pretty well. Uh, they definitely showed they had a fight in them. Uh, I think that Joker Phillips is going to have some success where he's at. Uh, they're just right there on that peak. Uh, they, they can either uh, make that turn and become a, 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 a contender in the East every year, or you know they could just stay Kentucky for a while. We're, that's yet to be seen, but... I would say this year, uh, probably a success for Kentucky.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I don't think a whole lot was expected out of Joker Phillips in his first year. He's uh, stayed close in all of the big games and won a couple games that maybe they, they wouldn't have won normally. So, impressive continuation there of uh, Rich Brooks' legacy that he's put in place there. Let's move on now to uh, South Carolina. Had to think about that. I, have to I, I did everything. I don't want to make another... Uh, alphabet mistake. and my, my mom, the English teacher, would be very upset with me then. So, South Carolina, a team that probably right about at their expectations this year. They really thought they were going to have a good season, and they have, by all accounts. I
1: would say, other than the, the inconsistency, uh, South Carolina, uh, very excited about this year. Of course, they've got the Auburn game coming up. Uh, that'll determine a lot of people's outlook on the rest of the season. Of course, you know, fans... Uh, mindset, or what have you done for me lately? What, right, what have you done right. this game? But I would say, uh, for the most part, with who they had at quarterback, uh, you're ecstatic to be 8-3 and three and go into the, the conference championship game or the SEC championship game. So uh, South Carolina had a great year.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the the thought was that if South Carolina couldn't win the East this year when all the other teams were down, that they would never do it. Right. So they managed to do that, impressively beat Florida last week. So... We'll see them in a couple weeks in Atlanta. Let's talk about Tennessee now. Pretty low expectations for them at the beginning of the season. Everybody knew Derek Dooley had a, a pretty massive rebuilding job. My normal co-host, Brett, he predicted that they would go winless in the SEC. He wasn't too far off. Pretty close. But I, I don't know. I mean, two SEC wins, maybe you exceeded expectations. But in my mind, they are right about where I thought they would be.
1: Probably where they thought they would be. I, I just urge Tennessee fans to give Dooley some time. I, I think he... He has the possibility of being a really uh, classy coach. He, he has the possibility of, of doing some things at Tennessee that they haven't seen since maybe the Philip Fulmer era. But if they get too impatient and they make snap judgments, then they could get rid of a real bad coach. And uh, just always remember uh, who else is out there. So.
0: Yeah, there's really not a whole lot of other good options out there that will come. That's right. I mean, Peyton
1: Manning is not coming to coach your football team. Yeah, so.
0: and we saw that with Tennessee last year. They had a lot of big names on their list, and a lot of big names turned them down. So you got to stick with what you got. I agree. I think Derek Dooley's a real good fit for them. And given some time, I think he can make a nice impact there. And then, of course, Vanderbilt, right about where they always are. So
1: They have an excuse this year. I mean, your, your head coach leaves uh, with no time to spare in the season. It was just a, a tumultuous start. They they showed a little bit of promise beating Ole Miss until we found out that everybody beat Ole Miss. <laughs> uh, so I, I think one and seven in the conference two and nine, anybody has to be disappointed. But I believe this is about um, exam time for most people in Vanderbilt, so I don't think a lot of people care. Uh, so
0: yeah, so Vandy, eh, business as usual for them. At least we got to hear some fun stories from their head coach at okay. media days. Commodore
1: is by far the most creepy mascot in the entire SEC. So. <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely, by far. Uh, other than Admiral Ackbar, if they would have chosen that, that would have been great. But, that's true. You know, whatever. The black bear.
1: Sure, that's intimidating once they get it. Yeah,
0: yeah once they get one. <laughs> Let's uh, jump over to the West now. A lot of these teams had much better fortunes this year. Again, I will attempt to go alphabetically here. <laughs> Hopefully I won't make any mistakes. ABC. <laughs> uh, the three A-teams had to move on to the second letter here, but I think I got this right. We'll start off with Alabama. That's right. Uh, we mentioned before... Expectations uh, through the roof for Alabama this year. Two losses, disappointing, but definitely not a terrible season in the vein of Auburn's 2008 or anything like that.
1: That's right. I, I think uh, a lot of Alabama fans disappointed. Uh, no repeat national championship. Uh, but once again, you know, you can't reload. But for the talent they had and some of the youth they had in key positions. Uh, the defense still trying to mold together. I would say a, a pretty successful season at 9-2 and two overall, 5-2 and two in the conference. Uh, had an upsetting loss at South Carolina that not a lot of Alabama fans uh, expected to come. But really, uh, Alabama's season could still be made upsetting Auburn. I don't really think that will happen. But, you know, maybe a loss to Auburn and a good bowl win would uh, get Alabama, you know, on the up track for the next year.
0: Yeah. Almost, uh, I kind of feel like you can't make a determination for Alabama's season right now. At least in the minds of mo- most Alabama fans, I think they'll tell you at this point, it'll be a good season if they win on Friday, and it'll be a bad season if they lose on Friday. Well, so. no,
1: no doubt, nine and four would be a disappointing season. But then again, if they go ten and three, maybe lose the Iron Bowl. Yeah. If they if they win a decent against a decent opponent uh, opponent in a January bowl game, a lot of Alabama fans will forget the Iron Bowl.
0: Yeah. So. We'll talk about how some of those bowls might shake out here in a minute. Let's talk about Arkansas here. Uh, Again, a team that was kind of difficult to slot earlier this year. We knew Ryan Mallett was a great player. We knew Arkansas had some concerns on defense. But with the record as it stands now, I'd say Arkansas maybe exceeded their expectations just a little bit. I I would
1: say so, especially considering Ryan Mallett shrunk a half an inch during the season. I know that was uh, very concerning uh, to a lot of Arkansas fans. But uh, I believe uh, they established a running game. Um, Their coach has established again that he might be one of the best offensive coordinators uh, in the entire country. He's got a, a great scheme there at Arkansas. They've upset a couple people, but... Uh, really just never could get over the hump in some of the, the bigger opponents that they were playing. They just couldn't put it together when they needed it. Uh, slightly disappointing for Arkansas uh, being so far down in their division, but you know overall record at nine and two, I, I, I'd say it's a, that's a fairly decent
0: game. Yeah, definitely still have a chance to be uh, number two in the SEC West. That's a possibility for them if they can beat LSU uh, and if Alabama loses to Auburn. Uh, let's talk about Auburn now real quick. We predicted uh, on the show earlier this year that Auburn would be undefeated. I wasn't necessarily sure that I believed that or not. When I was talking to you, I kind of thought maybe two losses would be reasonable. But uh, I, I think you have to say any Auburn fan would tell you that this season has far exceeded their expectations. And even Cam Newton has exceeded my expectations.
1: On and off the field. I mean, he's just brought a lot of attention to Auburn. He sure has. I mean, he's brought
0: a lot of attention Uh, We were pretty excited about getting Cam Newton, but I I remember when I found out Cam Newton was coming to Auburn, I was at the Outback Bowl, and I kind of heard about it, and I was like, "Ah, that'd be good, we kind of have a weakness at quarterback, maybe he can come in and do something. Uh, And he came in, believe me, with a lot of hype, but for him to exceed even the hype that he came in with, I mean, it's really been uh, astounding, and seeing what the other offensive weapons have done People will still find the negative and talk about the defense and all that, but uh, there's no reason to not be ecstatic if you're an Auburn fan.
1: Auburn has far exceeded expectations, unless you're Kirk Herbstreit, uh, who <laughs> I believe predicted them to be undefeated and win the West. So.
0: Yeah, but for some reason Herbstreit now, he doesn't even want to gloat in his pick. He just wants to talk about how good Boise State and TCU are. I think it, the, all the bleach in his hair has finally <laughs> gone to his head the self-tanning. It just I, doesn't make any sense. He's
1: becoming the lead course of the group. So. Yeah, or
0: the, the Lou Holtz. I mean, who knows? Know. Who knows? All right, so we got our three A-teams out of the way. My alphabet's getting a little bit easier for me now. Uh, let's talk about LSU next. Uh, LSU team, if you asked me earlier in the season, do I think that they would be making it to the last week of the season with one loss, I would have said no way because LSU's offense very spotty at the beginning of the season. The defense pretty strong. But that LSU Tennessee game, the the crazy things that happened there, I was absolutely certain at that point that LSU was just going to go down and tank the rest of the season. So,
1: at at the beginning of every season, we forget about how lucky Les Miles of LSU is. <laughs> I believe that's what the L stands for. I believe it is Lucky State University. <laughs> but we always forget they might not always have a uh, great star power on offense, but. Uh, on defense, they always have the athletes, they're always going to shut you down and make you beat them on defense play-by-play. Play. They never seem to give up the big play on defense. So uh, I believe their defense has kept them close all year, and actually we got to see uh, one of their star recruits out of the state of Alabama, um, Philip Rivers' brother. Steve Rivers, who played for Athens, is going to LSU next year. And uh, Just watching Hartzell tear him up in the backfield, I hope he starts the first game.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I mean... You have to wonder if maybe the Alabama schools let another one go like they did with uh, his brother Philip. but apparently from what you're saying, not necessarily the case, yep. right?
1: Unless he bulks up and changes that funky little throwing habit, uh, he, he might get drilled a little bit. Uh,
0: looks like LSU may be without a quarterback uh, for the next couple of seasons, <laughs> not just this year. Uh Overall, though, I'd say LSU probably exceeded their own expectations a little bit this year. I would agree with you. Most rational LSU fans would probably agree with that. Have you ever met one? No, I haven't, but uh, they're actually pretty friendly. When I went down there to visit, they're pretty friendly at 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay. All bets are off by (laughs) 3. All right, let's move on to the Mississippi schools here. We'll start with Ole Miss. Obviously, a huge disappointment for them. Uh, A lot of Jeremiah Masoli coming in. Sort of salvage their hopes. I think most Ole Miss fans realized it was going to be a down year for them, but probably not this down. And then we have Masoli come in, and you still do terrible.
1: I mean, what do you do with the? What do you do from here? It's uh it's it's got to be bad to be a Mississippi State fan at this point. All you've got to do is cross your fingers for basketball and baseball because football's yeah.
0: over for you right now. Yeah, it, truly. Uh, when we went down there to that game. They were excited for the first couple of minutes, but then uh, you, you could see they just realized that things were going down the tube and wa- walking through the Grove afterward and everything. Uh, I think those fans are just glad that they can still party and don't really have to worry about football. So. Go back right <laughs> And Mississippi State, of course, at 7-4 and four overall, definitely exceeding expectations. Maybe not Dan Mullen's expectations or Mississippi State fans' expectations, but uh, the broader college football world probably would not have guessed that mississippi state would do this well
1: i would say the bulldogs have, have done very well um especially considering the ugliness of their uniforms um, <laughs> but the only thing with mississippi state is is you look at the seven and four in the win column but you just have to come back to the three and four in the conference they, they just yeah. had hoped that maybe they could be seven and four but four and three in the conference uh the conference play is what's killed them, and until they can start beating some of their own foes, I think you're going to see a lot of disappointed Mississippi State fans.
0: Yeah, and a couple of really close games for them this year in the conference. That Auburn game almost went the other way. Uh, maybe not so much with the Alabama game, but they had chances That's right. against a lot of these teams, against Arkansas this past week. They've had chances, and just same old Mississippi State. Can't, can't get it done in the end. If Mississippi State had talent, they would be scary. Yeah, well, it's tough to get people to go and Starkville. To, the, to Starkville, but uh you know, maybe call up Jackie Sherrill, ask him about some of those payment plans. I, I've heard uh, they know a little bit about that out there. So I, I don't
1: know. <laughs> if if you if they really had the payment plan, it's surprising Cam didn't. You know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, even one hundred eighty thousand dollars is it worth going to Starkville? No.
0: That, yeah, I actually saw a fan uh, with a sign like that at the Auburn game a couple of weeks ago at the Georgia game. I guess uh, it said that you couldn't pay me one hundred eighty thousand dollars to go to Starkville. So. <laughs> I would have to agree with that statement. We, uh, we're going to run through our bowl projections here a little bit. This is always an exercise in insanity here because there's so many things that can change as the weeks go by. Uh, let's do this first before we talk about uh, where we think the teams are going to slot. We'll run through the teams that are already bowl eligible here. In the West, everybody other than Ole Miss is eligible. Ole Miss has no shot at getting to bowl eligibility. In the East, things are a little bit murkier. South Carolina, Florida, and Kentucky already eligible. Georgia can get eligible with a win against Georgia Tech this week. I think they're bowl eligible after I, this week. I think that'll happen. In Tennessee it gets bowl eligible with a win over Kentucky. I Probably don't think not. that's going to happen. No, I, so.
1: I, I think Tennessee stays out of the bowls this year.
0: All right, so that's, that's who's eligible. Let's start off with the national championship game. At this point, based on what... Auburn has in front of it. And let's assume that Auburn is the only SEC team with a shot to get into the national championship. I I would completely –
1: I don't think LSU has a shot if they are not even in the SEC championship game. There's just too many teams in front of them in the standings to get in.
0: So we're going to have to make some assumptions here. And before we go through any of the other bowls, let's determine what assumption we're going to make here. Do you say that Auburn makes it in the national championship? I
1: say Auburn makes it in. Uh, South Carolina, um, probably a formidable opponent. I think it will be the closest game. Maybe Auburn's played all year, but but I think Auburn does uh, make it in there. And if you're a fan of a a good game, what better game than Oregon versus Auburn in the national championship? I mean, it's going to be billed as the highest scoring national championship in history, uh, although we typically see those are defensive struggles once we get to the game. but. Uh, Very interesting. You'll have a a lot of storylines leading up to it, so I think that could be a great game.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think Auburn, as I predicted, I think Auburn could beat Alabama. And then we saw that Auburn was capable of beating South Carolina, and really in that game, they had not quite figured out how to utilize Cam Newton completely. So, tough matchup, but I think Auburn can get it done and they'll get in that national championship game. Let's move on to the Sugar Bowl here. Obviously, if Auburn were to lose one of these games or lose to Alabama but still win against South Carolina, they're probably going to the Sugar Bowl. Otherwise, uh, I agree. We're looking at some projections here by Mark Schlebaugh. Not a too popular guy with most Auburn fans right now, but we won't get into okay. that. <laughs> uh, he has LSU in the Sugar Bowl i I probably agree with that if Auburn goes to the national championship.
1: I, I can see that, um, and, and I think the matchup with TCU is a great matchup. You've got uh, uh, TCU finally with a chance to prove themselves against a big boy and uh, not play a Boise State again. That would be the worst possible scenario. And I, I really think with LSU's defense uh, and TCU's offense, you're looking at a, at a very good game right there in uh, uh it's a put-up or shut-up time for TCU, the born yeah. frogs.
0: Absolutely. I think every everybody, regardless of who you root for, if you're an SEC fan, you would probably be rooting for LSU in that game just so people would stop talking about these mid-majors. If,
1: if they were up by 50 in the third, I would pray that they would just keep throwing the ball because yeah. I just want to see one of these teams get obliterated.
0: Absolutely. I agree. Uh, well, the Orange Bowl, not necessarily an SEC tie-in. One thing I would like to mention with that, Let's say Auburn beats Alabama and loses to South Carolina in the SEC championship. At that point, South Carolina goes to the Sugar Bowl. Auburn probably ends up in the Orange Bowl. I would agree with at that. that point. Maybe even if Auburn loses to Alabama and South Carolina, they end up in the Orange Bowl. That's a little bit murky. That
1: that would be a little bit of a stretch, but it, it is a possibility.
0: So that you might be looking at that if things play out like we think they will no SEC teams end up in any of the other BCS Bowls because uh, there, there is a limit of uh, two teams per conference That's in right. the BCS Bowls. Although so. I would
1: say one out of SEC conference game, the Rose Bowl, uh, Wisconsin versus Boise State, would probably be the most interesting game I would see. I would tune into that and watch it beginning to end because Wisconsin would there just smash you in the mouth mentality against a very finesse. And what a lot of people think is a, a rinky-dink Boise State who likes to throw in a lot of trick stuff and gets by on trick plays. I'll, I'll be very intrigued to see how that works. Yeah,
0: some some great potential BCS matchups. Uh, unfortunately, the Big East still gets to send somebody, so somebody's going to have to watch a game with Pitt in it, probably. That's, that's but, just sad. <laughs> you know, we can only do so much. So That's what we're looking at for the BCS Bowls. Now, uh Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the next SEC slot after the BCS bowls is the Capital One Bowl.
1: I believe that it's, it's a January bowl game, that's right. It's right. the next January game. So,
0: Schleyball has uh, Alabama sliding into the Capital One Bowl. If LSU goes to Sugar Bowl and Auburn goes to the National Championship, I would agree with that. I think Alabama probably ends up the Capital One Bowl. I would almost say regardless. Yeah, so... Uh, Probably pretty decent sliding in there because remember, the, the East teams can't hold the candle to right. what the West teams have done, That's so you, you sort of have to, to throw some of that out there. So you've got the Capital One Bowl with Alabama probably in there. Next on the lineup, kind of tied, I guess, is uh, the Cotton Bowl and the Outback Bowl.
1: I would, yes, and right.
0: Traditionally, the Cotton Bowl takes a team from the West right. and Outback takes a team from the East, although, as we saw last year with Auburn, they can flip-flops. doesn't always happen, but I would expect them to do that this year. Schleyball says uh, Arkansas will go to the Cotton and South Carolina will go to the Outback. That seems pretty reasonable to me to see it, so. see it shaken out that way. And some great matchups again. I mean, you've
1: got Alabama against Michigan State, two running-oriented uh, offenses uh, with great defenses to back up. You've got um, Oklahoma versus Arkansas in the Cotton Bowl, which would be uh, uh, another great matchup. So just good matchups all around.
0: And once we get down to that, uh, probably next on the list, I guess, would be the Chick Fil A Bowl. Yeah. Um, Mississippi State slotted to go there right now. I think Mississippi State fans would be ecstatic oh, yes. to go to a game like that. Um, most of the other SEC teams probably not so much, but pretty reasonable. Usually, a team right around eight and four right. ended up there in the Chick Fil A Bowl. So, I um, mean, against an, an
1: NC State team who's been explosive at times uh, in the ACC. So. Once again, I mean, every one of these, uh, the, the TV networks are hoping that it falls just like this. because Oh, absolutely. Games.
0: Probably a new bowl for the SEC this year is the Gator Bowl. They yes. traded the Gator for the Liberty Bowl. Thank God, because uh, <laughs> Liberty Bowl, nobody wanted to go to Shreveport. I guarantee you that. Gator Bowl, probably right around the same status with Chick-fil-A Bowl. Uh, they have Florida projected to go there. That uh, probably makes sense. you got to throw another East team in yeah. at some point. So. And it's the Gator Bowl. Yeah, so uh, obviously you want to get a team like Florida. who's real close. to bring a huge crowd because oh, yeah. these games are about tickets. You can't forget that. So. Florida
1: and Penn State, and Penn State historically traveled well. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, great market. Uh, probably another great game that I would tune in to see. Penn State praying that it does not rain and become a mud bowl like what they played in last year against LSU.
0: Yeah, well, uh, and, and next, I guess, on the list would probably be the Music City Bowl, mm-hmm. I guess. And Schleyball has Tennessee slotted in for that. I don't agree with that because I don't think Tennessee is going to be eligible.
1: I would say the more likely scenario is Mississippi State falls to the to the Music City Bowl and plays somebody like a North Carolina or Maryland.
0: Yeah, and we got that. And then we also have the uh, the Compass Bowl. the used to be the Birmingham Bowl, right. I guess. It yeah. just got picked up. They have Kentucky in that. I almost would see Kentucky maybe making it into the Music City Bowl. And, okay, uh, yeah, I could see that. And then... Uh, Georgia
1: maybe making it into...
0: Yeah, Georgia possibly going to the uh, to the Birmingham Bowl, or if Georgia doesn't become eligible, that Birmingham Bowl just becomes filled by a non-SEC team. I can see So So I, I think that's... Probably how we see the, the bowls shaking out. Now, of course, like we said, this is an exercise in futility because things are going to happen this okay. week and uh, and, you know, and with the SEC championship. that That's really the linchpin of all of these is what happens to Auburn in the SEC championship because that's going to – if Auburn loses, it sort of pushes everybody down a rung. Right. So we'll see what happens with that, but – I feel pretty confident with these picks at this point.
1: I would so. say that's uh, fairly accurate. And if you're if what we're looking at is anything like the bowl schedule, uh, go ahead and mark your calendar
0: from about December on. <laughs> Don't do anything. You will be out of commission if you're a football fan. All right. Well, uh, like we said, we we're going to run through the SEC there for you. Hopefully we'll come out to be somewhat right on those bowl projections. But we still have the pick 10 to run through for you here. We're going to take a very short break. We'll be right back with those picks. I just want to go ahead and throw out there that I went nine one on my pick ten yeah, last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, it was an easy pick. To it's uh, <laughs> well, you know, they're never easy, but close race that we have going on. We'll come back and make some picks here right after the break. pick 10. I guess we only have uh, two weeks of pick 10 left. Yeah. So in total see. pick 20, that's it. I see you
1: uh, making your quick gut decisions. Over uh, these, are the, these are the SEC games yeah. that I already picked here. So right.
0: Everything else I have very sound reasoning, not uh, based on weather temperatures or people coming out to win a football game or whatever type of reasoning we may have had to listen to last week. Right. Uh, I'm pretty
1: sure he was getting that from some kind of bookie or something. I don't, yeah.
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He didn't do so hot, so maybe he was trying to throw us off the scent. I don't know. But uh, anyways, we, uh, we actually had five games from the SEC on the pick ten this week. Just not a lot of other great games throughout college football, so we'll uh, recap our picks on those here for you. We're split on the LSU-Arkansas game. David's going to take LSU. I'm going to take Arkansas. We're split on the Florida-Florida State game. I'm going to take the SEC with Florida. David's going to take Florida State. We're both going to take Georgia over Georgia Tech. Both going to take Mississippi State over Ole Miss. And we're both going to take South Carolina over Clemson. So that's the SEC action we got in the pick 10 this week. Let's move out to the Pac-10, not to be confused with the pick 10. A lot of people have been looking forward to this game, saying that this is probably the final test for Oregon. You disagree. Arizona traveling to Eugene this week to play at Altson Stadium. What are your thoughts on this one?
1: Well, I, I fell in love with Arizona's quarterback early in the year. Um, they have a little bit of a running game, not really. Um, they have a Pac 10 defense, traditional. They just give up all kinds of points. Uh, really, I just hold a grudge against Arizona and the Wildcats. I picked them two or three times during the year, and uh, they just haven't performed for me. And, you know, Eugene is, a, is an amazing atmosphere. The, the fans are just right up on you. Oregon in their uh, hurry-up offense. I I just I really think they might have overlooked Cal. Uh, they weren't really paying attention. I, I think they make, they make a show against Arizona uh, in their last real game. I mean, they don't play a conference uh, championship, so uh, I think they, they make a show for the BCS uh, in this game right here. I think Oregon wins B. All
0: right, well, i got a lot of reasons to tell you why Oregon should win this game. First of all, Autzen Stadium is a, a, a huge plus for them. That place is crazy, almost like an SEC stadium. They, they always pack it out very loud.
1: This is it sounding like there's a butt coming?
0: Well, there, may, there might be. Oh. I don't know. We'll see. Oregon uh, obviously has basically scored at will this year, except for Cal. Maybe Cal sort of laid a blueprint of what to do on defense. Maybe, like you said, Oregon just sort of overlooked them. But... <laughs> You mentioned Arizona's defense giving up some points. They've been pretty okay in most of the games. Stanford, they gave up 41 points. Not too good for them. Stanford, a great team, just like Oregon. Right. Sort of different style. Stanford, more of a in-your-face, smash-mouth team. Kind of like Iowa when they
1: led up 35, I believe. Right,
0: yeah. Oregon, more of a speed team. So may- maybe Arizona's defense has a shot here but I just feel like i got to make a crazy pick here this week. and Hey, you're 9-1, so yeah, and don't let
1: me <laughs> discourage you.
0: Everybody uh, so far this season giving a lot of crap to Auburn, saying Auburn's going to lose every week. There's been very little talk about the chances of Oregon losing. Maybe that's for good reason. Maybe that's because Oregon is so much better than all the other teams, but maybe not. We saw Oregon play against Cal, basically escaping for their lives there because uh, Cal missed the field goal. I think Oregon's vulnerable, just like every other team. And I think Arizona has a pretty decent shot to pull an upset here. So I'm going to go with the Wildcats. It's only one game. If I miss it, they won't kill me. There you go. uh, Uh, Speaking of
1: Oregon, last week, were you not confused about who was who on the field? Cal brought out the all yellow uniforms, and I was, and Oregon was in the plain whites. I, I was confused most of the game. yeah,
0: very confusing. Just like the uh, Miami Virginia Tech game oh, this yes, week, they, they, yes. I well, couldn't I figure back. out what team was what. So. Stupid Nike getting in the way of yeah, sports. And maybe we see that happening in the Iron Bowl this week. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> probably not. Probably hell freezes over before that one happens. But <laughs> uh, all right, let's jump to the Big Twelve here. Texas, uh, if we had done a season review on them, I I think we would have had to write Disappointment in all capital letters. This week they get a chance to sort of salvage their season at home versus a Texas A&M team that has been pretty hot ever since they switched quarterbacks.
1: That's right. Uh, I think Texas has been all horns down this year. (laughs) Uh, Big Bevo has just kind of sat in the sideline and munched the grass. I don't know. uh, They have been extremely disappointing. Of course, the loss to UCLA. Uh, being the real uh, key game that you can point to where they their season just collapsed. Uh, once again, another offense in transition. Uh, another team struggling without having a running quarterback. Uh, they've got a uh, sophomore who's an extremely accurate passer, has a strong arm, but the offense really isn't designed for him. Uh, and I don't think they can pull it together until next year. Texas A and M has looked very good. Uh, Even though they've had some close games on the road this year, I just think Texas A&M does enough to pull this out. It'll probably be a – I'm going to predict a sloppy game. There will be several turnovers. But in the end, I just believe the Aggies have enough to pull it out.
0: All right. Well, we saw the Aggies pull off a a pretty impressive victory over Nebraska last week. A lot has been made over – Nebraska struggles now with Bo Pelini getting called out by his chancellor and Taylor Martinez sort of quitting the team, but not really. So Nebraska obviously in some upheaval there, but the thing I worry about with Texas A&M is with an emotional win like that at home, then you got to go to your biggest rival at Texas. Do you still have enough to be able to pull off a win there? And then when you have Texas, a team that's basically been stepped on in the face with cleats that's the best way to describe probably their mood right now. They're angry. Mac Brown is angry. I just don't want to bet against this Texas team this week.
1: That's fair enough. So, I mean, your arguments are solid. It's just uh, it's going to be an interesting
0: pick 10 with all these uh, these differences. One of us might do pretty well and one of us might. One of us is going to do terrible. Yeah, so, uh, so, yeah, I'm going to take the Longhorns there in that one. One thing to mention here, a couple of these games on odd days this week, Texas A&M and Texas is on Thanksgiving on Thursday. That's right. Uh, Arizona and Oregon is on Friday, I believe, along mm-hmm. with the Iron Bowl, right. and uh, our next game I think is also on Friday. Boise State Nevada, is that correct?
1: I don't know. With Boise State, they could play on Wednesday. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the only day of the week they haven't played yet.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll check into that and make sure we uh, we post that on the website for you. But uh, let let's talk a little bit about Boise State and Nevada. Kirk Herb Street, I hate to pile on the guy, but. Listening to him on the BCS Selection Show last night, he basically said that if Boise State beats Nevada, then that means they're legit and they deserve to go to the national championship.
1: Once again, the bleach in the hair.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, their game is on Friday. Friday. Apparently, Boise State never plays a game on Saturday, looking at their schedule right. here. Uh, maybe that's the key to success, play nobody and don't play on Saturdays. There but you go. Uh, I, I'm just... I don't know if Curb Street hears himself. I mean, Nevada... Not exactly a powerhouse of college football. Granted, they're a good team. They invented the pistol offense. Uh, they've had some success this year. But they're still not real competition. And Not only that, um, Boise State has
1: beaten Nevada in the last three years by an average of 32 points a game. Yeah. Uh, Nevada has shown no real uh, game plan in stopping them. In fact, they game plan for everyone else and end up just laying an egg against Boise State. I I cannot see Nevada putting up a fight. Um, I would say Boise State by... I'll go with the average and go by 32. I mean, it's not even close. The Nevada Wolfpack have a rinky-dink little offense. Fresno State almost upset upset them. Boise State will do much of the same, uh, starting out running the ball down their throats, and, of course, that uh, Kellen Moore with the play-action pass is just deadly, so... Uh, Nevada gets whooped, and Boise State beats him by a lot.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think Boise State rolls in this one, and unfortunately the Love Fest will continue. Uh, strength of schedule, not important in college football anymore. Just, Anything uh, we've learned this year.
1: We all, all we can hope for as SEC fans is that Boise State keeps winning and faces uh, the buzzsaw that will be Wisconsin Badgers.
0: Indeed. Yeah, I have to... Uh, Email my boss from the summer Wisconsin grad uh, Say, look, you better get your boys ready To take care of this mid-major Disease that we have going on out there For about a so, week,
1: I'll sit there and chant badger, badger, yeah, badger Yeah,
0: exactly So we'll, we'll do what we have to do on that one Unfortunately, Boise State will roll in that game Let's go to uh, the game they call uh, Bedlam Oklahoma at Oklahoma State This year sense. Uh, I don't know why they call it that Oklahoma, a strange place well, sure. we, we can both agree on that one the thing with Oklahoma State that jumps out at me, they really don't have any meaningful wins. They've had a pretty decent season uh, record-wise, right. but if, if you look at who they've played, there's just not a team on there that really jumps out at you that you're like, wow, I'm really impressed that they beat that team.
1: That's right, and they they put up tons of points in every game they've played, um, but that's typical of an Oklahoma State team that we've begun to know Um They've beaten teams like Kansas, Washington State, Troy. Uh, they beat Texas A&M, but it was close. It was a three-point victory. Um, they rolled over Texas Tech. Um, they The one game they lost was to Nebraska, but they still put up 41 points. It's just a, a high-scoring offense who seems to be uh, clicking on all cylinders coming in this Oklahoma game.
0: Yeah, and Oklahoma team that... Not exactly great this year either. They were at number one at one point this year, but I think pretty much everybody knew that that was not really deserved. They were kind of a placeholder. Struggled against Utah State.
1: Uh, struggled against Cincinnati. They've, they've had some uh, some issues against Oklahoma. They, uh, uh, they've come out a little bit, blowing out Baylor last week. So they might be heading on the right path.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think Landry Jones is going to have a pretty big day for Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's defense worries me a little bit. They've gotten into some of these shootouts. Oklahoma still has a pretty elite defense. I think they can slow down some of what Oklahoma State's going to try to do. So I'm going to go with the Sooners on this one.
1: Okay. Well, I think for uh, either the third or fourth pick, I'm actually going to pick against you. I'm going to take the <laughs> I'm going to take the Cowboys or the uh, the Okie State. Uh, I just think that they've got too many weapons on offense. They've got a uh, um. They've got uh, Kendall Hunter, their uh, running back. They've got a wide receiver who's all everything. And it seems that they have the same model quarterback. Every single year that they come out here, they've got a quarterback with a, a strong arm, he's a fairly accurate passer, and he can run. So I think the same guy might have been there for about eight years now. And uh, I'm looking at Oklahoma's defense, and you said they are pretty elite, and, but they are giving up 24 points to Baylor. Uh, They gave up thirty-three points to Texas A and M, twenty or thirty-six points to Missouri. So while they are uh, uh, an elite defense to some of these teams who rely more on the running game, maybe Florida State and Air Force, I think when a team decides to air it out, they can't give up some points. So so I'm going to have to go with uh, Okie State on that. Well, they're
0: elite within the context of the Big Twelve. There you go. We'll give them that. There you go. All right. All right. We got one more game. Uh, Kind of a consolation bowl, if you will, for these teams that really have not lived up to their lofty year-by-year expectations. Notre Dame, all kinds of problems on and off the field. USC, surprisingly, not that many problems off the field, (laughs) but uh, definitely some problems on the field. We haven't
1: heard about Kiffin since postseason. Yeah, preseason, so yeah guess, it's that's very wild.
0: strange. I guess uh, maybe USC, the one place that was able to corral him somehow. I well, nobody
1: I cares. They're not going to a bowl.
0: Yeah, so who knows what's going on with, with these teams. But one thing we might end up seeing in this game, a battle of the backups.
1: That's true. Uh, USC had uh, Matt Barkley go down. He's probably out for the entire season.
0: Uh, Notre Dame had
1: their quarterback go down three or four weeks ago. I mean, they've been playing with a backup for a while now.
0: Yeah, well, the, when you throw the backups into the equation, you, you end up with Tommy Rees playing for Notre Dame. But you have a guy named Mitch Mustaine stepping in for USC. So if that's the case, I, I think I would definitely favor USC over Notre Dame.
1: I also picked USC, but I picked them more for uh, their running game. USC, much more adept to running the football, uh, much more powerful when they run. Uh, they can pick up tons of yards, and they have big play threats in the backfield. Notre Dame, of course, with uh, Chip Kelly, is uh, built around the pass. Everything is very reliant on spreading people out and getting a short, quick, accurate, uh, and good decisions from their quarterback. And I just think you might be asking too much with that USC defense, uh, who hasn't been spectacular throughout the year, but they've been able to hold their own. Um, I would say USC fairly comfor- comfortable over Notre Dame. Uh, maybe 17 points, but it's another case where I say give the coach some time. I think Chip Kelly really has a, a good fire about him. He, he loves the game of football. He knows the game of football. Uh, give him a little time to get his players in there, and you can see Notre Dame make a little bit of a turn.
0: Yeah, obviously Notre Dame's had a lot of things to struggle with this year, but I think with a little bit of time, Brian Kelly's probably the right guy for them. So we'll uh, we'll see see what happens with that one. I'm going to take USC as well. I think they probably pick up an easy victory for here. Notre Dame probably should just uh, pack it up at this point and start getting ready for next season. So common refrain for them the past couple of years, unfortunately, but uh, it is what it is for the Irish. Let's run through the pick ten here real quick. See if I can uh, go through all these games without messing them up. Once again with the SEC action, David's going to take LSU. In I'll overtime. take in in overtime, right? I'll take Arkansas. Uh, I'm going to take Florida. David's going to take Florida State in that game. We're both going to take Georgia over Georgia Tech. Both going to take Mississippi State over Ole Miss. We're both going to take South Carolina over Clemson. And then things start to get interesting. (laughs) David's going to take the favorite with Oregon at home. Probably a really smart decision. (laughs) I'm going to call an upset here and take Arizona. Maybe just out of... You could be a genius. Just out of hoping that Auburn might get to play Boise State in the national championship. Who knows? Uh, For the Thursday night game... David's going to take Texas A&M. I'm going to take a reeling Texas team at home. Probably another stupid decision. We're both going to take Boise State in a route of Nevada. We split again in the Bedlam rivalry. I'm going to take visiting Oklahoma. David's going to take Oklahoma State. And we're both going to take the USC Trojans over Notre Dame. That's all the time we got here on the water cooler this week. Thanks for joining me today, Dave. It's been a good time. And been a lot of fun. Anytime. We'll have to uh, get get you back on at some point here to do another show. The good thing is when you uh, whip me on the Pick 10 this this week, <laughs> we won't I, have to talk about it next week. I can't week, say so. anything.
1: <laughs> Text messages don't speak as loud. That's
0: right. Maybe we can get you to record a message or there something, and we'll, we'll put that on there. I map, would be mate. more than happy if I end up whipping you <laughs> in Pick 10. All right. Well, thanks for listening to The Water Cooler. We'll be right back uh, again next week to recap the Iron Bowl, start previewing that SEC championship game for you. As always, the water cooler, your source for Auburn football, the SEC, and everything you need to know about college football. We'll see you next week.